A decade ago, I released the first ever Week in Doubt Halloween special. It was simply entitled Halloween, A Brief History. In it, I discussed the legend of Stingy Jack and the history of the jack-o'-lantern, but only briefly in passing. Ever since, I've been wanting to take a deeper dive into these two related topics. And so this year, finally, I give you Stingy Jack and the history of the jack-o'-lantern. An old Irish legend dating from the 18th century tells of the aforementioned Stingy Jack, a cunning yet lazy fellow sometimes described as a blacksmith. There's different iterations of the story, but the gist or premise is always the same. Jack tricks the devil and traps him, only releasing him once he promises to never take his soul. But in the end, the joke's on Jack. Too sinful to be admitted to heaven, and barred from hell because he made the devil promise to never claim his soul. When Jack finally dies, he finds himself doomed to endlessly wander the earth in limbo, forever searching for a resting place. When Jack complains he has nothing to light his way or no way to see where he is going, the devil mockingly tosses him a burning coal, which he places in a lantern made from a hollowed-out turnip, apparently, according to some sources, his favorite food. A turnip might sound strange if you're here in the States, but as we'll discuss later, prior to the Irish bringing Halloween and its associated customs to North America, the carving of lanterns from root vegetables like turnips and beets was the norm. Another common element shared by the various versions of the tale is that they usually feature Jack tricking the devil into taking the shape of a coin. One version has Jack fleeing from a mob of angry villagers from which he is stolen. While doing so, he meets the devil, who tells him it's time for him to die. Jack shrewdly stalls the devil by enticing him with the opportunity to bedevil the pursuing villagers. Jack instructs him to take the shape of a coin, with which he can pay for the stolen goods, saying later when the coin disappears, the villagers would turn on each other, fighting over who had stolen it. The devil agrees and turns himself into a coin, but when he jumps into Jack's wallet, he finds himself next to a cross that Jack had taken from the village. Jack closes the wallet tight, and the cross strips the devil of his powers, trapping him. In another version, Jack invites the devil to have a drink with him. Jack convinces the devil to take the shape of a coin to pay for their drinks, but once the devil does so, Jack pockets the coin instead. The devil, still in the guise of the coin, finds himself next to a silver cross, which prevents him from changing back. Jack frees the devil, but only upon the condition that he leaves him alone for the span of a year, and promises to never take his soul. A year passes and Jack encounters the devil again. This time he tricks the devil by convincing him to climb a tree to get a piece of fruit. And the tree, it should be noted, is often specified as being an apple tree. Once the devil is up the tree, Jack carves a cross into the trunk, preventing the devil from coming back down. In some versions, Jack also places crosses on the ground. This time he makes the devil promise to leave him alone for an additional ten years. And we already know how the story ends, 
When Jack's time is finally up, he finds himself barred from both heaven and hell, doomed to wander the earth for eternity, with only his carved turnip lantern to guide him. There seems to be an understandable suggestion that this legend is the origin of the jack-o'-lantern, short for Jack of the Lantern. But it's possible that the term originated as a name given to Ignis Fatus, foolish fire or giddy flame in Latin. The phenomenon of flickering lights seen over swamps or bogs, caused by the gases given off by decaying organic matter. The phenomenon was known by a variety of names depending on the region. In English folklore, it was known as Will-o'-the-Wisp, a wisp being a bundle of sticks or paper used as a torch. So essentially, Will-of-the-Torch, this mischievous light was thought to lead travelers astray. It was also known as a Friar's Lantern, Hinky Punk, and Hobby Lantern. In Cornwall, the Will-o'-the-Wisp was known as Joan the Wad, Wad apparently being a Cornish colloquialism. For a torch or bundle of straw, Joan was said to be the queen of the pixies. An old Cornish rhyme about her also employs the term Jack of the Lantern. Jack of the Lantern, Joan the Wad, who tickled the maid and made her mad, light me home, the weather's bad. And although I'm not sure if it's also inspired by the Ignis Fatus phenomenon, I should mention that in Switzerland, there's the folk belief in an entity known as Jacko the Bull, a benevolent house spirit akin to a brownie or kobold, who safely leads cows to graze in return for being left a bowl of sweet cream or milk. According to an 1870 text entitled The Fairy Mythology Illustrative of the Romance and Superstition of Various Countries, he was also known as Jean de la Bolieta in French and Napfhans in German. Wherever the term jack-o'-lantern originally came from, it's thought that the carving of them began in the 19th century in Ireland, often from turnips but also from other root vegetables such as mangelwurzels, and no, that's not something from a Dr. Seuss book, it's a kind of root vegetable in the same family as the red beet and sugar beet. According to a senior curator at Epic, the Irish Emigration Museum, quote-unquote, metal lanterns were quite expensive, so people would hollow out root vegetables. Over time, people started to carve faces and designs to allow light to shine through the holes without extinguishing the ember. A plaster cast of an old carved turnip jack-o'-lantern with what has been described as a quote-unquote pinched angry face can be found in the National Museum of Ireland Country Life in County Mayo. This practice of carving grotesque faces into lanterns fashioned from vegetables was present not only in Ireland but in the Scottish Highlands as well both Gaelic-speaking regions where the Christian observance of All Hallows' Eve, Halloween, was still influenced by the Celtic pagan New Year festival Samhain, spelled and often mispronounced as Samhain or Samhain. Samhain, which is thought to translate to Summer's End, took place on the same night as Halloween, October 31st, and lasted into November 1st, the Celtic New Year. 
It was believed that on Samhain the wall or veil between the worlds was at its thinnest, and that spirits of the dead and otherworldly beings could cross into our world, and conversely that hapless travelers from our world could become lost in the so-called other world. Although the carving of so-called jack-o'-lanterns specifically may not have begun until the 19th century, it's speculated that the practice of carving root vegetables may go back to the ancient Celts in Samhain. The ancient Celts feared that they might cross paths with fairies or otherworldly beings on Samhain night, or that the dead who had crossed back over may seek to return to their former homes. So it's thought people donned frightening masks and costumes to disguise themselves as malignant spirits, and it's possible that jack-o'-lantern-like vegetable carvings may have also been used in an attempt to keep evil spirits at bay. The jack-o'-lanterns of later centuries were also thought to ward off evil spirits, including, according to some sources, even old stingy Jack himself. One idea I found often repeated while researching this episode is that jack-o'-lanterns with their flickering light were thought by some Christians to represent souls in purgatory, Halloween being the eve of All Saints' Day, which is followed by All Souls' Day on November 2nd. How common a belief this is or was, I'm not sure. In January of 1836, the Dublin Penny Journal published a long story on the legend of quote-unquote Jacko the Lantern, but without mention of Jack's lantern being carved from a turnip or other vegetable. A year later in 1837, the Limerick Chronicle featured an article about a carved gourd competition at a local pub, with the prize going to quote-unquote the best crown of Jack McLantern. It's interesting to note that the carving of vegetable lanterns was also practiced in parts of England. In Somerset, there's a holiday called Punky Night that takes place on the last Thursday in October, a punky being an Old English term for a torch. The carving of jack-o'-lanterns for Punky Night seems to go back to at least the 19th century. As part of the festivities, children carry jack-o'-lanterns singing, It's Punky Night Tonight. It's Punky Night Tonight. Adam and Eve would not believe it's Punky Night Tonight. Other lines include, Give me a candle, give me a light, if you don't you'll get a fright. Or, Give me a candle, give me a light, if you haven't a candle a penny's alright. Evidence also suggests that turnips were used to carve something called a Hobarty's Lantern in Worcestershire around the end of the 18th century. Other variations of the name include Hobbo Lantern and Hobbity's Lantern. According to one folklorist, the name may derive from the phrase quote-unquote Hob and His. I didn't find it in my research, but I imagine this could mean Hob as in an English house spirit, a diminutive creature from folklore, making Hob and his somewhat similar to Joan the Wad or Jacko the Bull, I suppose. As alluded to earlier, Irish immigrants, many fleeing the Great Potato Famine, brought Halloween and its customs to America in the mid-19th century. The pumpkin, with its ideal shape and larger size, quickly became popular as an alternative vegetable for carving jack-o'-lanterns. 
Awareness of the holiday already existed in America prior to the aforementioned influx of Irish immigrants in the mid-1800s, but the Puritans deemed it much too pagan, and it was generally forbidden. Colonists opted instead for harvest festivals. Interestingly, the Headless Horseman from American author Washington Irving's 1820 short story The Legend of Sleepy Hollow is popularly depicted as having a jack-o'-lantern for a head. But in the original story, the closest we come to a jack-o'-lantern is a smashed pumpkin discovered next to the missing Ichabod Crane's hat the morning after his supposed encounter with the horseman. It should be noted that pumpkins had already been associated with the harvest season here in the States, long before people began using them to carve jack-o'-lanterns. I came across the claim that the first use of the term jack-o'-lantern to refer to a carved pumpkin in American English supposedly occurred in 1834. The person cited the Oxford English Dictionary, but when I checked the online dictionary page for myself, I found no such mention. That doesn't mean it's not true. I found the same claim elsewhere. But I nevertheless felt an obligation to offer that caveat. Author of The Last of the Mohicans, James Fenimore Cooper, named the vessel in his 1842 nautical novel The Wing and Wing, also known as La Fouffelet, the jack-o'-lantern, writing, She was well named the jack-o'-lantern, for jack-o'-lantern she was and jack-o'-lantern would she ever prove to be. As well might a false fire be followed in a meadow as such a craft at sea. And there we see referenced the idea that a jack-o'-lantern was something akin to a will-o'-the-wisp, as discussed earlier. The poet John Greenleaf Whittier, a fellow New Englander, wrote the following in his 1850 poem, The Pumpkin. O fruit loved of boyhood, the old days recalling, when wood grapes were purpling and brown nuts were falling, when wild ugly faces we carved in its skin, glaring out through the dark with a candle within. A book of nursery rhymes published in 1879 by Ward Locke and Company contains a story about a mischievous and deceitful boy, the personification of a lantern who behaves like a will-o'-the-wisp and is referred to as Master Jack-o'-lantern. In 1885, writer Agnes Carr Sage, in an article entitled Halloween Sports and Customs, published in Harper's Young People, juxtaposed various British customs with those of children in the States. She specifically cites what she refers to as the ancient Scottish customs of lighting large bonfires and carrying blazing torches atop long poles. It should be noted that bonfires were also a feature of the ancient Celtic Samhain. She continues detailing how, in contrast, quote-unquote, American boys delight in the funny grinning jack-o'-lanterns made of huge yellow pumpkins with a candle inside. Strangely, according to the New York Times, an 1895 article on Thanksgiving entertaining suggested implementing a lit jack-o'-lantern as part of the festivities. But perhaps it's not that strange, seeing as, in a sense, Halloween and Thanksgiving were still both evolving holidays. 
Irish and Scottish immigrants also brought Halloween and its customs to neighboring Canada. The following was written in the November 1st edition of the Daily News of Kingston, Ontario in 1866. The old-time custom of keeping up Halloween was not forgotten last night by the youngsters of the city. They had their masking and their merrymakings and preambulated the streets after dark in a way which was no doubt amusing to themselves. There was a great sacrifice of pumpkins from which to make transparent heads and face lighted up by the unfailing two inches of tallow candle. Well, from the legend of Stingy Jack to the birth of the American tradition of carving pumpkins, this concludes this special holiday episode of The Week in Doubt. As always, thanks for listening.